Hello and welcome to the June edition of the EMJ Primary Survey. As you know, this is our regular roundup of the best, most interesting and most exciting things we've got in the journal this month. Of course, not everything I can put in the primary survey. There'll be other things that you need to get out there and read as well. But for now, I'm going to tell you what Simon Smith, who is one of our new quality improvement editors, said about the June edition. Now, the quality improvement projects are really quite interesting. If you're not familiar with these, it's a requirement now for the FR Chem for our trainees to do the quality improvement projects and the best of those are going to feature in the journal and Simon is going to handle those so I'm quite excited to see how those goes on because do you know what at the moment there's a lot of quality improvement going on around COVID we're seeing such dramatic change and it's quite nice to see some of the principles of quips and and things sort of put into practice so what does Simon have to say for this month well welcome to the edition and uh, the current pandemic continues to affect our working and personal lives in this primary survey we've already got two COVID-19 related articles of interest and we've actually got quite a lot in review at the moment for the journal I think it's going to dominate education for the next year I suppose and um, we've also got some interesting articles on paediatric trauma head injuries sepsis and some thought-provoking reads about the state of emergency medicine research so let's start off with COVID in this issue. And we've got um, Drs. Yang and Flores eloquently describe working in the pandemic at the at the really sharp end of an emergency department in New York. We all know New York was hit incredibly hard. And they also describe the effects on them personally, such as the anxieties, which well, all of us are feeling, and also the realisation of positive aspects that can protect our mental well-being at this time. And we would recommend the short view from here. We've reflected on the points it raises amongst the team, and Simon mentions that, especially with regards to the support we should be receiving at this time. On a practical level, Chu et al., also in the Journal this month, described the use of intradepartmental telemedicine during the crisis to provide both healthcare workers and patients, to protect them, in fact, by reducing unnecessary exposure. And I think we've all seen a bit of that, haven't we? Telemedicine has really come on by requirement. We've known about it for years, but kind of it's now happening. So it was telemedicine that is initially devised to overcome the issue of distance between patients and clinicians. But this paper notes how it's now being used to conversely create the barrier which is a bit odd, really. It's a sort of a paradox. And then lastly, we've got a letter from Shovlin and Vixay Chipi, who discuss COVID-19-specific triage in the UK and the possible effect on patients admitted to ICU. It's an area that's received a lot of interest from the media in the UK, and this paper is another stimulus for reflection upon the many ethical dilemmas we currently face. So there's a lot there on COVID and definitely worth a read. The ethics is important. The triage is important. The practical stuff is important, but also looking after ourselves is really important. I think we're going to see more of that as we go on over the next few months. But moving away from COVID, we'll talk about head injury management and um, in particular, the presence of a post-concussion symptoms in seemingly mild head injury will be familiar to most emergency physicians, often underappreciated though. And in um, a paper this month, we've got on the symptoms following mild traumatic brain injury in children, Gravel et al. look at the association between delayed presentations to the ED and the risk of persistent symptoms at four and 12 weeks. This association and the increase in chance of persisting symptoms is, is kind of intriguing, really. And this paper also highlights the high rate of persisting symptoms and challenges emergency departments to address this. Also on the subject of head injury, Drs Coates and Leckie, or should I say Professor Coates and Leckie, provide a perspective on the recent controversy guidelines in the light of the CRASH-3 results. Should all head injury patients get TXA pre-hospital? Well... There's a lot of opinion around that, but this paper this month is definitely worth a read. It gives a rather more nuanced response to that question. 
Then moving on, we've got issues in paediatric trauma to look at. And in their paper looking at minor tibial fractures in the under fives, Ferrer et al. have looked at the rate of immobilization. Now, this is a respect retrospective study. But it did find that in confirmed and suspected fractures, there was quite a high immobilization rate. Immobilized patients were more likely to reattend the ED, 15.3% uh, versus 6.6%, and had a complication rate related to immobilization of about 20%. And this paper adds further fuel to the fire to the increasingly trend for more conservative management of paediatric fractures, which I've got to say is something I've been doing for years. I can't remember the last toddler's fracture I put in a cast actually but there you go I know things vary across the country and, and certainly internationally there's a lot of variation. Hepburn et al describe an initiative to standardise care and documentation of paediatric burns patients it's a before and after study of the introduction of a standardised documentation template and many quality improvement projects concentrate on reducing variability and increasing standardisation using checklists and performer and this paper provides evidence of its effectiveness of these interventions. In the paper the process measures improved. However, outcome measures, i.e. screening for non-accidental injury, also demonstrated improvement. So not just the thing you're looking at as your main thing, but you can get secondary benefits as well. And, you know, if you're doing a QIPs, have a look at these ones because we're, we're only publishing the good ones, yeah? So if you want ideas about how to present your data and how to show how it's done, then have a look at the quips that we're putting out into the journal. Moving on, we can look at um, a couple of papers around prognosis in sepsis. Um, two papers specifically looking at outcome prediction, in fact. First, Yang et al. investigate the association of hyperphosphatemia with increased mortality in adults with sepsis and suggest that this is, in fact, an independent prognostic variable. As ever, further studies are awaited, but, you know, it's worth looking at. It's not, not phosphate is not something I look at that often, in fact, so maybe, maybe it's something we need to start thinking about. And then meanwhile, Sinto et al. compare the prognostic value of the SOFA, the QSOFA, and the QSOFA lactate and SERS tools in the specific setting of a resource-limited emergency department. Interestingly, the performance of these scores differed from data published in settings in high-income countries, but always be careful about the QSOFAs. Just going to make sure that we're applying it to the group of patients in whom it was intended to do. I don't think it was particularly used as an ED screening tool initially. So, you know, just be careful with all sorts of triage tools about is it actually testing what we think we want it to test. And then... As I said before, there's a nice paper on the current state of emergency medicine research. So patterns in emergency medicine research are looked at by a paper this month by Jesse Smith et al. Published research in emergency medicine journals are assessed for geographical origin, specific recorded article, e.g. author contribution items, and methodological indicators, e.g. blinding and sampling. The work suggests some interesting trends. Those working in the UK will be concerned by reading of the decrease in research from here. This is discussed in two related commentaries by Jason Smith and Richard Boddy and will hopefully spark quite a lot of debate. However, it is pleasing to note that the improvement in methodological and reporting rigour and the increase in emergency medicine research publications worldwide. Although, it will be interesting to compare these changes to other newer medical specialties. So maybe, maybe it's that we're producing better quality research but less of it. Discuss. There's a debate there to be had, isn't there? Right, what else is in this month? Um, other articles of interest, there's a systematic review by Avery et al, which considers transfusion in major trauma, asking if there is a superiority of whole blood transfusion compared with component therapy. Author suggests that no evidence is to support or reject whole blood use, although they conclude the evidence is pretty limited and poor quality, and there are some trials going on about that at the moment, so hopefully we get a better answer soon. And Glashine et al. review a pre-hospital intubation database specifically looking at subsequent success of intubation following a failed first attempt. 
Perhaps unsurprisingly, the majority of successful intubations occurred when different actions were taken, i.e. doing the same thing again rarely helps. So thanks Simon for putting that together and welcome to the journal. Um, have a look at the QIPs, look after yourself, stay safe, look after your PPE, wash your hands, stay two metres apart and we'll see you in July. <laughs>